spiritual discipline life would be much better if there was an app that prayed for me. <laughs> Not for me, but in my stead. Uh, today, uh, by the way, my name is Joe Davis. Uh, I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Garden. We're continuing this church-wide series on taking different stories in the Bible and comparing them to our life and seeing how they match up with different passages in the New Testament and also how they match up with your journey and particularly how they tell the story of God's covenant with his people. Today, we're talking about uninitiated prayer. And look at how God's covenant with his people affects our prayer life. There's so much, if you guys remember a while back ago, we did a whole series on prayer called Fun With Prayer, and we tried to redefine what prayer is. And, and what we tried to explain was prayer was so much more than that meditation type of thing where your head's bowed and your eyes are closed and you're on your knees and you start with Dear Heavenly Father and you end with Amen. Prayer is, that's a small part of prayer, but prayer is so much. Prayer can be going to a football game with a friend. Prayer can be eating a delicious hamburger from Hardee's. Prayer, that mile high, have you all seen that? How is that not prayer? I mean, that's an answer. My goodness, I don't, we don't even have Hardee's in Sarasota, do we? See, that's ridiculous. But anyway, the point is, prayer is so much more than just that time that we get all quiet. And maybe there's like instrumental music in the background and and maybe when we're by ourselves and we have a checklist. And prayer is much more than when we hold each other's hands and at the end we squeeze to symbolize the prayer is over. Y'all ever done that? You have to do that. Prayer is so much more. And today we're going to look at uninitiated prayer. And we're going to look specifically at the story of Solomon. It starts in 1 Kings 3. I want to make sure you understand what's happened here. David has left Solomon, his son, with a very strong, consolidated wealthy kingdom. And Solomon makes it even stronger by marrying Sheba, who is the queen-to-be, the queen-in-waiting in Egypt, further solidifying Israel in the region as a military and political and economic power. So at this point, Israel is becoming the most powerful kingdom on earth in many respects. Then we see in the story in 1 Kings 3 that God appears to Solomon in a dream and says to Solomon, I will grant you any gift that you want. And when we read in the story, first of all, Solomon says some puzzling things about his father David. And Solomon says to God in the dream, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and uprightness of heart toward you. Now, this is kind of like a bonus sermon within the sermon, right? This, for those of us that understand who David really was, and we did what seemed like a 17-year series on the life of David, if you guys remember, <laughs> did, we, did we not discover that David was actually a pretty bad guy? And Solomon says he's upright and righteous. How do we reconcile the fact that David is being called righteous by both Solomon and later on, God even says, yes, your father was upright and he kept my statutes. Now, this is a concept of faith is counted for righteousness. I'm just going to read one verse for you so you can understand where I get that from. For what does it say in Romans chapter 4, 3 through 8? What, is this, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as what is due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing 
of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is that man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So I want to make sure you understand why David was being able to be declared righteous. It's not because he was a good guy, but it's because by faith, when God saw him, all he saw was the work of Christ and righteousness. So we understand that. And then God gives all these uh, choices to Solomon, and Solomon chooses wisdom so that he can rule God's kingdom wisely. And the scripture tells us that God is very pleased, and he grants Solomon wisdom, and he grants all the other things he didn't ask for. As a matter of fact, in 1 Kings 3, verse 8 to 11, here is God's response to Solomon's dream prayer. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered, or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern your great people? And in verse 10 it says, And it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked for this. So the question is, why was Solomon able to have the wisdom to ask for wisdom in the first place? And how did this event, this request, even take place? What role did Solomon really play in this? I mean, think about this now. This was a dream. I doubt very seriously that Solomon went to bed last, that night and says, you know, I'm really tired. i got to get to rest because I'm going to meet up with God in a dream tonight. I've got it all planned out. He's going to ask me, you know, whatever I want he's going to give me, and I'm going to come up with this great line about how I need wisdom to rule his people. And he's going to say yes and then give me everything else I want to. I've got it all planned out. I ate a lot of pepperoni pizza right before I went to bed, so I'll have a good, vivid dream. Look at this passage. <clears throat> and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. In other words, don't be trying to say these flowery words that sound great but mean nothing. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so we see in this passage in Matthew that it's very clear that prayer, even those prayers that we do verbalize, God knows what we need before we even think about asking for it. And I'm making a proposal to you. I'm proposing to you that it's possible that Solomon actually had been given the gift of wisdom before he realized he needed wisdom. I think about it. A foolish person is given anything he wants in the world. What's he going to ask for? Ferraris and rubies and gold and tickets to Florida State games. They're going to ask for really nice stuff. But instead, Solomon asked for wisdom. I submit to you, is it possible that Solomon already had wisdom given by God before he even asked it? So how does this happen, right? This is an uninitiated prayer. Solomon did not go to bed saying, I'm going to have a dream and ask God for some stuff. This was uninitiated. This was an interaction between Solomon and God that really had nothing to do with Solomon's consciousness. He wasn't conscious. He was dreaming. 
And, you know, there's so many times in our lives that I've heard this story about Solomon's prayer, which Solomon was so wise, he asked for wisdom, but nobody ever thinks, guys, this was a dream. It's not like he went to the, to the temple. By the way, the temple wasn't built yet. He didn't go to the ark, where the, you know, the tent where the ark was. He didn't go there and kneel down and say, oh, God in heaven, in thine heavenly area up there, we pray thee with thy flowerful words that thy would grant us wisdom in our place here today. It wasn't anything like that. He was sleeping. So how does this happen? Well, this kind of sort of works. If you guys remember correctly what I talked about last week, we discussed how God's covenant of grace works with us even in our weakness. And as a matter of fact, one of the things I shared was that for grace, listen, for grace to thrive, there has to be depravity. Grace is designed to feed off of and thrive on and work with depravity. Our weakness is what makes us strong. The scripture says that. In our weakness, he is made strong. Why is that possible? Because of grace. And the law declares our depravity, and then grace comes along and swoops in and takes our depravity and makes it righteous like it did for David. <clears throat> so this kind of thing actually works the same way as what we were talking about last week. In one way that the covenant does this for us, the covenant is always at work for us. We understand that, right? The covenant of grace. In one way it does this by using abstract, unplanned moments that we don't even understand that sometimes can catch us off guard. I would submit to you that Solomon was caught off guard, and when he woke up, he was like, wow, I can't believe what I just dreamed. Is it true? And then we see a story about two women who come with a baby that... Um, you know, Laurie was just talking about with the kids, and yeah, it's true, he's got amazing wisdom. And the scripture says his wisdom, the fame of his wisdom, God made him a wisdom superstar. The fame of his wisdom spread throughout all the known world, and what was beginning to happen is kings were coming to Solomon to ask for wisdom. And the, and the kingdom of Israel got so rich and so powerful, the scripture teaches us that silver was like rocks in the street. That's what the scripture teaches us. So Solomon's wisdom is real, and the prayer and the answer was real. Now, this is very intense stuff I'm getting ready to share with you. Keeping in mind that prayer is a much broader definition than just head bowed, eyes closed, hands folded on your knees. See, this is where knowledge and benefits of being a child of the covenant translates into real experience, real emotion, real motivation, real inspiration, and real transformation. Remember we talked about last week about how God transforms us by the renewing of our mind and the way he transforms us, actually it was two weeks ago, is understanding the knowledge of how God works. Look at this passage. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. <clears throat> Does that go along with Matthew, right, you think? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, is that passage troubling for any of you? This is very intense stuff. This is teaching you how being a child of the covenant actually affects you. And we've been talking about the covenant, the covenant, the covenant. Today, I'm helping you take the covenant from knowledge to inspiration. And I'm going to begin to help you understand how to identify different moments in your life when the covenant of God brushes up against you and you feel it and you're not sure what it is. Today, we're telling you exactly what it is. Okay, so... Let's do a little bit of a Greek study. There's one word that I want you to look at. And the Greek word is stenogois. Now, the t- I remember I shared with you guys about how endings and Greek words give you exactly what the word is supposed to mean. It's a very exact, precise language. This word is a dative, plural masculine noun. What that means is, first of all, it means more than one person. Masculine means, in this case, it can apply to women and to men. Sometimes masculine can apply to just men. Feminine always applies to just kind of a a feminine women type of thing. This means masculine can be used for both. So it's plural and masculine, meaning everyone. So make sure you understand, the reason it's plural and masculine is so that it applies to everyone that is touched by the covenant. Not just a few, not just special people that have a certain type of gift. This is everyone, okay? Then you have the dative aspect. The dative is used to indicate that something passively is used to affect or change the subject of the sentence. In other words, I hit you with a hammer. You did not hit yourself. I picked up the hammer. That's a really bad example, isn't it? But that's okay. You'll get the idea. I pick up the hammer and I hit you with it. Okay, I hit a nail. How's that? Is that better? You guys are all cringing, right? If the nail is the subject, I pick up the hammer and I hit the nail. The nail did not pick up the hammer. The nail was passive. The nail was affected by another noun, the hammer, being used against it. That's what the dative means. Okay, this word stenogois is actually the word groanings. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings. Too deep for words. In other words, what the Scripture is teaching us there is groanings is in a masculine plural dative case, which means it applies to everyone, and it is the subject, it is the hammer, if you will, used to impact the subject of the sentence. The subject is us. We, the church, the children of the covenant, are affected directly but passively. In other words, we did not participate in the action, but it is used by another force to impact us. That's stenogois, groanings. Now, this idea of the dative can be something that is actually physical or it can be an abstract concept. This word is most definitely, the word groanings, an abstract concept. I like to define it as uninitiated prayer. That's what this word really means. It says because we don't really know how to pray, we don't even know how to start, we don't know what words to use, we don't know what to pray for, and so the Spirit 
intercedes for us with these groanings, with these uninitiated prayers, with this uninitiated action that is used. The groanings are used to affect us in a huge, massive way. Why? Because the Spirit knows what God wants, and He intercedes for us on His behalf for what? What does the last part of it say? The will of God. Back to Solomon. Is it possible that in this story Solomon was the beneficiary of groanings? Do you think it's possible that Solomon's dream was one of these things we see in Romans, a groaning, a passive action taken upon Solomon with the noun of a groaning? Guys, remember, he was sleeping. It wasn't a verbally spoken prayer that Solomon had with God asking for wisdom. He did not go to sleep that night planning his interaction with Heavenly Dad. He didn't map it out in some worship software to figure out the best way to get in connection with the presence of the Father. No, the Spirit of God is what directed Solomon's prayer to himself. He wasn't conscious. He was definitely a beneficiary of the Spirit interceding for him with groanings. Those groanings, the Spirit used them to search Solomon's heart and to know the mind of God and to work them both together for the benefit of what? What God wanted. As Scripture says in Romans, all, all of them work together for the will of God. And we know in Romans 8 it says, all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called. We talked about that last week. This is an example of those things working together. You see... <clears throat> The gift of faith, when you have been given the gift of faith, it includes these unplanned, unexpected moments of intimacy and of prayer and feelings and groanings that sometimes aren't verbal. And it's kind of defined as sort of like every once in a while you would have this strong sense of God's presence in your life, a personable, unexplainable moment of peace, a moment where you feel more connected to Heavenly Dad? Now, it can be very subjective. I'm not saying you can define it all the times. It can be also very personal. Sometimes it can even be hard to verbalize, hard to describe. And I'm not talking about speaking in tongues or anything like that. That's for another time. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about moments of closeness with Heavenly Dad that catch you by surprise. Moments of closeness that were uninitiated by you. Moments of closeness that were not part of a plan, but that just happened. God uses some sort of visual, some sort of sign, some sort of audio, some, maybe a prayer. He uses a relationship, and something happens, and there's something for a moment that clicks, and you feel the Spirit of God brush up against you. And you think, whoa, what was that? It's a groaning. It's a groaning. And so let's look at this. <clears throat> I think the best way for me to explain it to you is give you my own personal, most memorable, uninitiated prayer moment. It's very personal. I've shared segments of it with some of you from time to time, but I'm going to give you all the details today. I was 15 years old. I had been saved for about four months. It was four months after God called me out of darkness into light and saved me. And in a dream, I remember this dream very vividly. I don't remember a lot of my dreams. I remember this one. 
I was walking through this panoramic view of future events in my life with who I assume was Jesus. And I saw Jesus looking at Scripture and saying, you know, this is something, and I would see an event. Some of them were bad, and he'd show me some more Scripture, and I'd see an event, and, and it was a good event, and it was ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And I can't remember specifics about what he was pointing to, but I do know he was talking about my life. <clears throat> and I remember at the end, I asked him, I said, what is it you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? And this is a real dream that I had. And he responded to me by, responded to me by showing me a verse in the Bible. And of course I couldn't read it because I was dreaming. But right before I woke up, I asked him what the passage was. And he answered me back. I still get chills just thinking about this. I was 15, you know. God had just saved me. And he said, it's 1 Thessalonians 1.4. And immediately I woke up. It was 6 a.m. So what do you think the first thing I did was? I picked up my Bible, and I looked up the verse I had never read before. You know what it said? For we know, brothers, beloved by God, that he has chosen you. That was the passage, the reference that God gave me in my dream. And I can tell you at that moment, at 6 a.m. as I was getting up to get ready for school, I felt this amazing, stunning connection to the Father and to Jesus. There were tears. There was empowerment. And from that day forward, I knew what I was going to do with my life. That was my greatest groaning ever. It was unexpected, it was unplanned, and it was transformational. That's a true story. I'm almost 50. I'll be 48, I think. Is that right, honey? I can't remember. 47? I'll be 47, I think, in a few weeks. Hint, hint. So, and... For me to remember this prayer as much as I do, something that was not planned, that's a groaning. So a question for you, have you ever experienced uninitiated prayer with Heavenly Dad? Has there ever been a moment, one of those groanings that hit you that was too deep for words? Solomon had his, and I've told you mine. Do you have one? It doesn't have to be a dream. It could have been in a car during a song. It could have been a moment during a church service. It could have been a moment you shared with another person. It may have been something beyond words. But that uninitiated moment where you think, wow, I don't know what that was, but I just experienced the love of Heavenly Dad brush up against me. There's been a lot of songs written about it, but for the first time, I think what we're doing here for you is we're defining to you biblically what actually happens. The mechanics of uninitiated prayer is this. The Spirit knows what you need before you ask it. The Spirit knows the mind of God. So the Spirit is constantly interceding for us even though we don't know what to think, what to pray, what to say, how to say it. He knows the mind of the Spirit and He intercedes with us for the benefit of the will of God in your life. And the last thing I'll share, the next time it happens to you could be today, tonight, tomorrow. I want you to stop. I want you to define it. I want you to identify it. 
And I want you to thank Heavenly Dad for that moment that was too deep for words, too special to be planned, too transcendent to be orchestrated by your own feeble self. And when it happens that day, that time, that moment, stop and say, wow, God, thanks for the groaning. Thanks for the stenogoise that has affected me in this huge way. Because what God did for Solomon, he does for us. Because he does not change.